0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, my friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truth. Got a brand new postcard with me from Ponca City, Oklahoma. Love it. I think it's Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, this is from Pam Lee. And Pam, thanks for sending this postcard. It's a, it's a picture of E.W. Marlins res, uh, residence. Um, I kind of looked this up, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is the same thing as the Marland mansion in Ponca City, known as the Palace on the Prairie. But either way, it's a really cool postcard. So Pam, thanks for listening all the way from Ponca City, Oklahoma, sharing that card with us this morning. Uh, it's morning here at least, uh, or not, actually it's afternoon here, but it's probably be morning for you as you listen to this. But we are in Mark chapter 3 and verse number 20. If you want to find your place and follow along, we're talking through the beginning part of Jesus' ministry, not all the way at the beginning. Because he doesn't call his disciples or apostles, I should say, formally until almost a year into his public ministry. And while our study of the book of Mark isn't comprehensive, and what I mean by that is in order to get a comprehensive view of the life of Jesus, you really want to take all four gospels, arrange them chronologically, and then talk through them that way. But as we talk through Mark, we're getting a specific view of Jesus' ministry. We're talking about Jesus as a servant, Jesus in action. I think it's what we're calling this series. And wow, that's what we've seen, action and action and action. We've seen just in the last couple of episodes, the multitudes that are coming, thronging, pressing upon Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? He's escaping the crowds. He is instead calling just a few select ones and getting to private places and investing in them. Why? Because Jesus understands what many of us do not, and that is the principle of multiplication. Instead of having a negligible influence with millions of people, he has a profound influence with a few people so that in that process of investment, there's going to be a multiplying effect. It's the same thing with, with really anything in life. You know, it's the magic of compound interest. It's getting involved early, making little investments of time over time, and seeing the multi- the, 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 the expansive mushrooming effect of that kind of investment. That's what Jesus is doing. He's starting small, but investing big in these few. And we left them uh, last episode going to a house. Verse number 19, Jesus and his new apostles uh, in in this house. And the Bible says in verse 20, and the multitude cometh uh, together again. So they just can't leave him alone. The multitude is pressing upon Jesus. They want a piece of him. They want a piece of his ministry. They want these, these apostles now that have the ability to cast out devils and to do healings. They're just coming and coming and coming. And the Bible says to the degree, verse number 20, that they could not so much as eat bread. Have you ever been so busy in ministry that you just didn't even have time to take a lunch break, didn't have a time to get a bite to eat? I have to admit that that happens to me. My wife laughs at me because I'll get busy and I'll forget to eat. And I'll all of a sudden realize after I haven't eaten for, you know, 15 hours or 16 hours that I'll, I'll feel faint and I'll feel like, wow, I need to eat something. Well, that, that's what was happening to, to Jesus and his disciples. They were so busy, pressed so much for time that they didn't even have time to get a bite to eat. And it was at times like these that Jesus would would take his disciples away to get apart for a while, to come apart, to rest. And rest is an important part of ministry, by the way. It's not an unspiritual thing. So watch what what happens in verse number uh, 21. So the multitude is pressing. They're, They're busy, busy, busy. Verse number 21. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. So, here are some people that that ostensibly are friends of Jesus they know him uh and they think this is just crazy and Jesus is out of his mind and this can't be right and so they want to kind of get Jesus away from it all because they think that that he is that 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 he's gone crazy himself so think about that here are well meaning people that that are thinking wrongly about the ministry of Jesus. They're, they're not seeing him for who he is. Uh, they're they're well-meaningly wanting to take him away from ministry. And I wonder how many things we do in the name of the Lord or in the name of ministry in, in a well-meaning way that are actually counterproductive to the ministry of Jesus. So we find some, some friends here that are behaving counterproductively, but then watch who else uh, kind of is a speed bump in the ministry of Jesus. First number 22, and the scribes, which uh, came down from Jerusalem. So think of it Jesus is all the way in Galilee. They're coming down from Jerusalem. And when you think about down from Jerusalem, don't think about northeast, southwest. Because when you think about northeast, southwest, you think about coming down as being coming down from the north. But that would be a geographical mindset. And the Bible's not speaking geographically here. The Bible's speaking in terms of elevation. So Jerusalem is up high. So anytime a person would leave Jerusalem, regardless of what direction he was heading, what, north, east, south, or west, he was always coming down from Jerusalem. So when the Bible says that these scribes came down from Jerusalem, even they were going up geographically to Galilee, they're coming down from Jerusalem. So think about just how intimidated the religious leaders are by the ministry of Jesus. We've already learned he's wildly popular. We've learned that he is not intimidated by their authority, but they've sent a delegation now from Jerusalem to come and to confront the ministry of Jesus. And and watch how they confront him in verse number 22. The scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub. (laughs) He has the devil, is what they're saying. And by the prince of the devils, casteth he out devils. So they've got to come up with some kind of logical explanation as to how Jesus is healing people. How Jesus is confronting these demonic influences, uh, ridding them, uh, ridding these people of these de- de- of this demon possession, and, and yet still uh, not claim him to be God. So h- how are they explaining this and yet not, not uh, promoting the ministry of Jesus? Well, here's what they come up with. Well, we know how he's doing it. He he has a devil himself, but he has a stronger devil. He has the prince of devils. And so what Jesus is doing is he is possessed by the prince of devils, and therefore he can tell these other devils what to do. They thought they were so smart. They've come up with an alternate explanation as to who Jesus is. He's not from God. He's not the son of God. He's not ultimately a good man. No, he is actually a minion of the devil himself. Wow. You talk about uh, a, uh, an opposition. Well, that's an opposition. What will Jesus say to this? Well, wh- watch what it, what happens in verse number 23. And he called them unto him. So Jesus never shrank from, he never shrunk from a uh, opposition. No, he he always had the truth on his side. Obviously, he was the truth. He is the truth. So he called them unto him, and he said unto them in parables, "How can Satan cast out Satan?" And think about that question. Jesus, whenever he would deal with opponents. Typically, he would ask them a question. Why? Because a question forces people to think. A question causes people to think through the logic or the illogic of what they have done. So how can Satan cast out Satan? He expands upon that. Look at verse number 24. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. You know, a kingdom doesn't fight itself. A kingdom divided against itself just destroys itself. The whole kingdom suffers. That's why Abraham Lincoln in 1863 at Gettysburg quoted this very uh, verse. Why? Because a kingdom. Divided against itself cannot stand. And of course, Abraham Lincoln was speaking about the Civil War. Every casualty in the Civil War was a casualty for the United States of America. Why? Because the South and the North were one country, and he was there to preserve the Union. Well, Abraham Lincoln didn't come up with that concept. He was quoting Jesus. Look at verse uh, number 25. And if a house, this is specifically what Abraham Lincoln quoted, If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So how did Jesus deal with this criticism from the religious leaders? He dealt with it logically to say what you're saying, what what you're proposing, that I am somehow casting out devils by the prince of devils is totally illogical. Verse number 26, and if Satan rise up against himself, and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath but hath an end. So don't 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 accuse me of being full of Satan. Even Satan's not that stupid. Look at verse number 27. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. So if if what's inside of a house is to be taken out of that house. I can't just go into someone's house and start taking all his stuff. Now, first of all, I'm going to have to find who, who that bodyguard is or that security guard or the owner of that house. I'm going to have to make sure I handcuff him, immobilize him, and then I can take the BCR. VCR. Where did that come from? Then I can take the plasma. Where did that come from? Then I can take the, the flat screen TV. Then I can take the jewelry. Then I can take the stuff in the house, but I have to first bind the one that controls the house. So what is Jesus teaching? Jesus is teaching that if I'm going to take out of these houses, these people, the demons that are, that are, that are that are living in them, in these people, then I first have to bind the one that controls. I have to bind the strong man. I am stronger than Satan. I am binding Satan. I am removing the evil from these houses, these homes, these bodies. It means that I am stronger. I am expelling the bad, taking it out. Why? Because I am binding the strong man that's controlling so what is Jesus doing? He's arguing from a standpoint of logic, a house divided against itself. He's arguing for the standpoint of authority and strength. I am stronger. Look at verse number 40, uh, 28. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wherewith they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme, that means to abuse, against the holy ghost hath never forgiveness but is in danger of eternal damnation because they said he hath an unclean spirit so what's the point the point is that these religious leaders knew that they knew that jesus was true they just didn't want to submit to him They knew that he wasn't casting out devils by the prince of devils. That was just what they came up with. And Jesus now irrefutably shows them, you know that I am operating by the spirit of almighty God. You know that. And what you're doing is you're assigning the work of God to devils. You are literally saying no to the Holy Spirit's influence. And when you say no, when you resist the Holy Spirit's influence and say, say an ultimate no to Him to ascribe to the Holy Spirit what is truly satanic. Th- there's no hope. So, so what is the work of the Holy Spirit today? The work of the Holy Spirit today is to co- to convince the sinner uh, 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 of his own sin, to convince the world of uh, 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 of sin and, and of and of judgment. Uh, to to convict us, to show us our need for Jesus Christ. But when people say no to the Holy Spirit, when they say no to His work, really what they're doing is saying no to the ministry of Jesus. And there's no forgiveness. Uh, There's no future. There's no hope when we say no to the ministry of Jesus. And so that's what Jesus is driving at right here in Mark chapter 3. Hope that makes sense. Haven't had a whole lot of time to explain that part of it. We're out of time for today, but we'll jump back into it tomorrow and finish out the chapter. So tomorrow we'll start right in verse number 30. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.